this morning for the message, I just want to share from my heart with you a Christmas message today. We've looked at several things um, over the last few weeks, um, such things as why Bethlehem, why that what seemed to be an insignificant city, but we know that the scripture says that even though it may have appeared to have been least, it was not least. We looked at the birth of Jesus Christ through the eyes of Zacharias. So we've spent some time just kind of looking at it from a little bit different perspective. Well, today what I want to do is share my heart with you. If you paid attention to the scripture reading at the first part of the service this morning, they read, Marvin read from Romans chapter 3, that's where we will be. And I guess if I were to put a title on this message, it would be along these lines, is so in light of Bethlehem, in light of Zacharias the prophet, in light of everything that we know that the scripture says, prophesying the birth of this one Messiah, it boils down to this question, why was he born? You know, we find in Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet said that a virgin would conceive and bring forth a son and would be called Emmanuel, Emmanuel being God with us. And so God saw to it and God saw fit that he would come and offer for us what we could never offer. The magnitude of that thought for all of us sitting in this building today and all of the celebration that's going to go on around the world, and I, I will say this, celebrations will go on around the world from now up until about the middle of January. All celebrating this time of the year well, what's so significant about this time of the year besides all of the things of all of the lights and all of the gifts and all of the traveling and all of those things? But when you, when you boil it all down to the, the summary of it all, why? And the question that needs to be answered today is why was Jesus born Romans chapter 3, verse 9 through verse 20 is going to give us some insight into that. But before we read that, let me just say this to you this morning. Why was Jesus born? I'll answer that question. Because of the fact that all mankind falls short of God's righteousness, that's why he was born. And so if you're looking for a completely or totally expositional message this morning with all the proper exegesis and everything that needs to be done and conducted through the passage, what I want to do this morning is basically what I'm going to do is I'm just I'm going to share my heart with you. Since I have you all in this building and you're kind of a confined audience for me this morning, I want you to hear it from my heart to you. I want you to understand why it is we're celebrating what we're celebrating, and I want you to fully understand and get your hands around the reason why Jesus was born to begin with. 
And I will just make this statement once again because of the fact that all of mankind, regardless of who we are, fall short of God's righteousness. Every single one of us. And I'll say this this morning. God is righteous in his judgment and his wrath. And there's absolutely none of us in this room this morning that could state other ways in any other means that God is unjust or God is not right in exercising his wrath because he is. And for you and I this morning, it's only because of his love for us, because of his grace, that you and I even have the hope of being able to spend eternity. So why was Jesus born? To pay a debt that you and I never could. And as a result, this morning I want you to consider this. All mankind is subject to its condemnation and bondage. That's what we all are subject to. John chapter 3, Jesus speaking with Nicodemus in verse 17. You know, we often stop at verse 16, but we don't read verse 17 on. Because if we don't believe, we're condemned already. It's not something that we eventually come to. Every one of us are condemned already. Every single one of us falls short of the righteousness of God and who He is. Because there is absolutely nothing within ourselves that could ever appease or satisfy the wrath of God Himself. And just to share the truth of this with you, Several times in the scripture that we're going to look at this morning, Paul is going to use several Old Testament citations to affirm man's own sinful condition. And I want you to notice how he is going to refer to them. He is going to refer to them as it is written. This is not something that's been made up. This is not something that we've just kind of arrived at on ourselves, as it is written. What I want you to understand this morning, it is not my opinion. It, it, it is not what I've come to a conclusion of. It is what the Scripture says is the condition of man. And so for us, Romans chapter 1 and verse 17, it says, as it is written. Chapter 2 and verse 24, as it is written. Chapter 3 and verse number 4, as it is written. Chapter 3 and verse number 10, you'll see those same words, as it is written. It's getting much plainer than that. It's not something we've arrived at. It is not something that we have derived here. It is from God himself as it is written in the Scripture. And let me say this this morning, this is not a new subject. This is not something that's the, the, the newest thing on the block here. It's a condition of man that has existed since Genesis chapter number 3 and continues to exist today. We can ignore it all. We want to ignore it and we can try to put it off and come up with all of these other remedies to the condition that man finds themselves in. But one of the things that I want you to understand this morning, it is coming from the Scripture as it is written. 
And so when we find ourselves in verse 9 through verse 20, Paul writing to the church at Rome as he outlines all of this for us, he is going to make it very clear. And here's what I want you to understand this morning. If you don't understand anything else, I don't care who you are. I don't care what your name is. As far as status, it doesn't matter what family pedigree that you have. It doesn't matter what job you hold. It doesn't, none of that matters. Every single person, every human being finds themselves on the same plane when it comes to God. And there's only one way and there's only one avenue by which the wrath and the judgment of God will be appeased and that was through the giving of his son Jesus Christ and him alone. And so as we consider the magnitude of this this morning, From Genesis chapter 3, something that we deal with every single day. It's interesting when you come to Romans chapter 3 and verse number 9. Romans chapter 3 verse 9 serves as a summary for us of Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 all the way through chapter 2 and verse 29. And so as we come to verse 9, I want you to notice what it says. Romans chapter 3 verse 9. What then? Here comes the question. Paul is going to answer it. Are we better than they? My dear friend, I want you to understand something in this room this morning. Please, for me, there is not a single one of us in this building or in this room that's any better than the other. None of us. When it comes to God. Makes no difference. So the question that Paul is going to deal with So what then? Are we better than they? In other words, from the Jews, from God's chosen people, are we we preferred? And I want you to notice how Paul answers that question. He says, not at all. Yeah, you're God's chosen people. You have the oracles of God. When you go read the first eight verses, you're going to see they go through all of that, from circumcision to the oracles of God to all of those things. Does it negate the fact that they're the chosen people of God? No. But when it comes to Jesus Christ, Paul is getting ready to deal with it here because he says at the end of verse number 9, For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. I don't know how you make that any, uh, any plainer or clearer than what it says. We're all under sin. Whether you're Jew or whether you're Gentile makes no difference. My question to you this morning is how many people would we have in this auditorium that's of Jewish descent? Anybody in here this morning that's of Jewish descent? I don't think so. Well, I can tell you this. Guess what? We're all Gentiles. And so as we consider the magnitude of this, makes no difference whether you're Jew or Gentile. We're all under sin. So as we come to verse number 10, you're going to see from verse 10 all the way down through verse 18, Paul is going to go back to the Old Testament and pull from the Old Testament and bring it to this point for us. Notice verse 10 through verse number 12. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. 
There is none who does good. There is not even one. My dear friend, I don't know how much plainer that can be. But I hate to tell you this, there's none of us in this building this morning, not a human being that's ever been born that is righteous. There's only one who was ever born, the one that we're celebrating the very birth of. But my dear friend, I want you to understand something. He was born of a woman conceived by the Holy Spirit of God. Why? Even though he's as much man as he is God, in order to have a sinless, perfected life, he could not come from a male through Joseph, but it had to be a miraculous birth from Jesus Christ or from God himself for us. And so there is none righteous. Not anybody in this building, not not any human being that's ever been born is righteous. I want you to notice with me verse 10 through really down all the way through verse 18. You're going to notice a phrase. I want you to notice the use of the phrase none, no, or all. And I know this is, this, okay, this, this is not an easy message, but it's from my heart to you. I want you to know today the very reason that Jesus Christ was born. All this celebrating that we do. I want you to understand the significance behind all of it. Because, my dear friend, listen to me. If all we do is celebrate a tree, and all we do is celebrate gifts, and all we do is celebrate all of these other things that surround it, we've missed. We've missed it. It's about Jesus Christ. Beginning in verse 10, Paul is going to pull from Psalm chapter 14 from Psalm 53. And he's going to pull from each of these as he prepares to give to us this outline of our condition before a holy God. Let me tell you what Paul is saying here. Not my words. Let's go back and pull from the Old Testament. Let me tell you what. There's a good reason why he does that because he's dealing with both a Jewish audience as well as a Gentile audience. And so for the Jewish audience, here's what he wants them to understand. It was written in the book of wisdom. It is coming from the Old Testament. It's coming from the prophets. It's coming from the law. It's coming from the prophets. It's coming from the books of wisdom. It's coming from the Old Testament. And for the Gentiles, it's the same. There is none. Please, this morning, the verdict that comes from the Scripture is this. No one is righteous. No one. Absolutely none. And let me say this this morning. You know, mankind does not understand this righteousness. Nor do they seek God. Notice what Paul does in verse 11 and uh, verse number 12. He deals with three aspects of, of our very being and who we are. He deals with the mind and the heart and the will. And notice what he says, There is none who understands from the mind. There is none who seeks for God from the heart. And there is none who does good from the will. And so as we see all of those aspects of who we are, 
understanding our condition before a holy God is significant. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55 and verse number 8. In the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 55 and verse number 8. Mankind does not understand this righteousness, nor do they seek after God. Spoken of by Isaiah the prophet, chapter 55 and verse number 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, here's the thing about all of this, folks. Please listen to me this morning. This was not an afterthought with God. The Scripture's own commentary on Jesus Christ slain as the Lamb before the very foundation of the world. God knew that there was only one way that His judgment and His wrath could be appeased And it had to be a final, perfect sacrifice. It had to be. So guess what? God took it on himself, became flesh and dwelt among us. It had to be a sinless sacrifice. You say, well, why did it have to be a sinless sacrifice? Well, let me share this with you this morning. If the blood of bulls and goats would have been able to have remedied and appease the very judgment and wrath of God, then Jesus Christ would not have had to have died. And I know we get hung up on this cliche that Jesus, when he was born, he was born to die. He knew he was born to die. My dear friend, there's much more to it than he just knew that he was born to die. Jesus knew that the payment that would be paid was necessitated by a perfect sacrifice. It had to be that way. And who for the joy of the cross that was set before him despised the shame and all the ridicule and all of those things that took place. Why? Because he knew that that's what had to be. And so for you and I, for us today, What we're spending this time of the year celebrating, the magnitude of what we have. Sometimes I, I wonder within my own self, do I fully comprehend exactly what it is that God did for me on the cross of Calvary? Let me tell you what he did. He did for us what you and I could never do. It's impossible for us to ever come to the point that we could appease the wrath and the judgment of God. It is not within sight of ourselves. Why? Because of sin, that's why. I will say this to you. Paul's conclusion in verse 12 may seem harsh and insensitive. When you look at verse 12, and all have turned aside together, they've become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. And I know that that may seem harsh and insensitive, but let me just share something with you. We're actually worse. 
we're worse. When you consider our sin that had to be dealt with. And then we come to verse 13. From verse 13 down through verse 18, Paul is going to pull from from Psalm chapter 5, from Psalm chapter 140, from Isaiah chapter 59, verse 7 through verse 8, and from Psalm chapter 36. So Paul is going to pull from all of those. Notice beginning in verse 13. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. He also pulls from Psalm chapter 10 here. Destruction and misery are in their paths. In the path of peace, they have not known. And then notice verse 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. God's way of peace is only found through one avenue. God's way of peace is only found through Jesus Christ. That is the only way. Well, how do you know that? Well, just flip over to chapter 5 and notice what Paul says in verse number 1. Romans chapter 5 in verse number 1. He says, therefore, after he's gone through all of this from chapter 1 all the way through chapter 4, he comes to chapter number 5 after dealing with the condition of man before a holy God as far as his wrath and his judgment is concerned. There is no difference between a Jew and a Gentile. And it is by faith and not by works of righteousness that we have done that can account for our sin. So when he comes to chapter 5, he says, Therefore, as a result of all of that, having been justified by faith, we have what? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. My dear friend, listen to me. That is the only way. And the reason for it is because that's as it is written. It's not opinion. It's the fact of where we are today. Verse 18. Verse 18 serves as a summary of verses 10 through verse 17. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And I'm afraid today we've come to that place and we have lost. We've lost our fear, the fear of a holy God and who he is. We've lost that. And I don't mean being afraid of him, but standing in awe and understanding and realizing who he is. Understanding and realizing as we consider this time of the year, I was standing out, I went outside, it was mighty cold last night. How many of y'all are looking forward to your one week of winter? It's coming. I happened to be looking at the calendar and I was looking at some historical things from last year at this time. How many of y'all realize that on this coming Wednesday, this time last year, it was 84 degrees? I think Thursday it's supposed to be, the low supposed to be like 27 or something like that. Okay, so a big difference. 
But I was standing out and I was just kind of noticing one of the things that is just absolutely just, it, it's just, it's just, it's just mind-boggling to me. Is to look up into space and to see all of those things. The stars, just in all of their brightness. And we consider the, the creation as a whole. Understanding and realizing the one who brought all of that into existence. Psalm chapter 19 and verse number 1 says, Even the heavens declare the glory of God into who he is. And let me say this to you this morning. Jesus Christ in his death on the cross and his resurrection brought glory to God himself that you and I today become a recipient of through his grace and through his mercy. Why? Because he loves us. Because of his great love for us. Because of his grace. But there's no fear of God before their eyes. So what does that mean? Well, you come to verse 19. And Paul just kind of ratchets it up a little bit more. Notice what he says. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that, notice this, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. It's what the law says. Are you ready for this? Every mouth is closed. And let me say this to you this morning. Okay, as it is written, as it is written, and every mouth is closed. Let me tell you why, because you can't add anything to it. That's why. You can't add anything to it, and God help us if we subtract from it. It's clear. It's plain. Simply put, let me tell you what Paul just said. The whole entire world is accountable to God. Let me tell you why. Because he created it. You and I were created. So guess what the answer is? We're all accountable to him. Then we see in verse 20. Because by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no flesh, no flesh will be justified in his sight. It's not about what we do. It's all about who we know. Because you see, the doing comes as a result of the knowing. We do because of who we know. We do works of righteousness because of who we know, not because of who we are. And let me say this to you. And I know we get this... I know we get this, this mindset today, but here's where I want the truth to, for you to see the truth of this today. 
because it's what Paul wrote here, as it's written. I don't know if you paid attention to all the nuns and the no's and all of the all's. But here's, here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to know. There's a lot of folks today who think that they are good. Well, don't we do this? And we're morally good. And we, we're socially good. And we're civilly good. We, we're good in all of these components. My dear friend, the, the, the issue here goes much deeper than that. It's not about what we do. It's about a condition that exists since Genesis chapter number 3. That is the part you cannot do anything about within yourself. To do good things. To be moral, to be civil, to be all of those. It's, it's commendable. But it doesn't take care of the need Verse 20, because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. You know, my question would be today, how do you, how do you know that this is wrong? How do you know that this is wrong? How do you know that this isn't right? How do you know that this is how you ought to treat somebody? How do you know all of this stuff? I'll tell you where it came from. Not from within yourself. It came from the one who created you. See, the wrath of God is justified because of the just verdict of God. The wrath of God is justified because of the just verdict of God himself. Turn with me to Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. Paul writing in his letter to Titus. It's going to kind of just drive this home just a little bit further. Titus chapter 3. And notice verse number 5. He saved us. But not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. Please don't miss that. It is not based upon what we've done. The deeds that we may have done that have been morally, civilly, socially good. He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness but according to his mercy, by the watching of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done. Solely, totally, completely, on Jesus Christ and what he accomplished for us. What God did through his grace. 
As I said earlier, there are many today who consider themselves to be good, morally, socially, civilly. And matter of fact, there are even those who consider themselves to be spiritual. But let me share something else with you this morning just to make sure that there's clarity here. But apart from Jesus Christ, I want you to notice with me further what the Scripture says. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter number 2. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 and verse number 2. Now, please, this morning, I want you to understand, this, 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 is, this is not my words. Uh, this, is, this, is, this is not what I've determined. This is as it is written. Titus, I mean, uh, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 and verse 2. Notice what it says. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. You see, we're condemned already. We're dead in our trespasses and sin without Jesus Christ. My dear friend, he's he's the only way. He is the only way that God's judgment and His wrath can be appeased for. It's through Jesus Christ Himself. You see, I want you to think about something with me this morning. What matters, what matters is God's verdict. What matters is God's verdict, not what people think. It's about God's verdict. Because eventually, one day, we're all going to answer to Him. And it's not going to make any difference at that moment in time what our opinion is. Because I will say this to you when we see Him, there will, listen, when we see Him and we stand before Him, we will not have an opinion. At all. So the question is, is, so why was he born? Start off the message that way. So why was he born? How many of y'all remember the gospel account of Zacchaeus and Jesus? How many of y'all remember him? All right, maybe I can help you remind you. Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that day, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down. Why? Because I'm going to your house today. See there? I knew you knew who Zacchaeus was. Just had to jog your memory a little bit. How many of you still don't know who Zacchaeus was? That's okay. That's all right. Let me tell you what. I'm going to give you the place to go read about him. Okay? Here's what he said. This is what Jesus said. After 
his encounter with Nicodemus, I mean with uh, Zacchaeus. Here's what he said. He said, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. My dear friend, that's why he came. I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. Are you ready? Okay. He, he wants to give you peace. He wants to give you contentment. Unlike anything you have ever experienced in your life before. Because there is none in this world. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 1. Those who have been justified by faith have peace with God. And there's a big difference in having the peace with God and just having peace. It's in a relationship that exists. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why Jesus was born. As it is written. Not this is my opinion. You say, okay, it's all fine, well, and good, so what do I do with it? When you understand who you are before a holy God, and there is absolutely nothing within yourself to pay the debt that needs to be paid. And we understand our sinful condition before a holy and a just God. And as the Holy Spirit begins to convict our heart based on the Scripture and the Word of God, and we understand our need of a Savior, so what does it take on our part? Well, Paul told us in Romans chapter 9, in verse 9 and verse 10. And he was very clear and very plain. When it comes to Jesus Christ and our relationship with him, and I tell you what, we got a minute. Turn there with me. I want you to see this. Romans chapter 10, not 9, chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. All right? Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and verse 10. I know it means you've got to get your Bible back out or your phone. That's okay. I want you to see this because here's the gist of it. As it is written, this is what I want you to see. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and verse number 10. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus as what? That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. And I love verse 11. For the scripture says, here it comes, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed or ashamed. Let's bow our heads together as we pray.